0: Is third Down to the pole. It is line it is Cup win. he won it by eight legs on the wire.
1: well you know me and you know that there is nothing that winds me up and gets me more excited than some international racing to sink our teeth into uh, you hear me every single Saturday bang bang on about the local products here in New Zealand but occasionally there are times of the year where we have to look abroad and I don't think you'll find a better time or a better 10 day stint than what we're in right now so rolling out the, the heavy artillery I've managed to track down Nick Luck who is one of the finest racing broadcasters and riders around the world you can follow him on Twitter and catch up with his daily podcast as I often do Nick Luck daily uh, he's in the United States he's stateside for the Breeders Cup Championships and Nick it's a real pleasure to welcome you into the show. So thanks so much for offering up a bit of your time for us here,
0: Louis. It's a great pleasure. Um, been lucky enough to to have Michael uh, Garrett on the show a few times uh, into my podcast. So very pleased to be to be able to bring a little bit of the international flavour to, to New Zealand.
1: It's uh, w- we've got a deep affinity for what you do in the Northern Hemisphere racing circles here, but I guess we don't see. <coughs> much of it outside these carnival times i'm wondering from your perspective has the international racing world ever felt so connected to you um no is is the short answer i think there is a there's
0: definitely a greater appreciation of uh, uh, across the globe um i think i i think the way that the sport is televised and communicated uh, is much more joined up i think um, the, the way that the media has evolved with so much online content and um, so many audio offerings in particular in the podcast space that's that's helped us uh, and just feel more connected feel more involved and uh, and what's more making people want to wager internationally as well i think the advent of whirlpool hopefully will, will push that forward as well so uh, trying to connect up a lot of these big big festivals particularly at this time of year i think is very important for the sport
1: the, the wagering aspect of it's fascinating. I don't know if you've followed along with uh, what's happened in New Zealand with Entain winning the right to, to kind of partner with our bookmaker. Um, punters are pretty much at the focus of everything we try to do because without the punter, the prize money doesn't exist and the industry falls flat. How much in, in the UK, Europe and I guess North America, is there a focus around the punter from your perspective?
0: Well, I think you have to deal with all those jurisdictions separately. I mean, clearly all the, the, the racetracks and the people who own and run the, the facilities need to understand that the the, the customer and, and the better must be at the, the forefront of everything that they do for the reasons that you've just given. But clearly, what is uh, good for, for racing in the UK based on the business model there, for example, where we're we're still running the sport based on a bookmaker contribution model from media rights and uh, a horse race betting levy uh, relative to, say, uh, the, the mechanism in France, which is still fundamentally parimutually based and, and still is, broadly speaking, uh, in, in the United States. I think they're, they're, they're all funded slightly differently, so their priorities are going to be somewhat different. But I think, yeah, all of these countries need to understand more than ever that you know, this, is a, this is a much more competitive leisure market than it was even five years ago, let alone 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, when racing was in its A-Day in a lot of developed countries, and therefore they need to work that much harder for the, for the customer dollar.
1: You're right to point out all things aren't equal and it is very jurisdiction dependent and, and I felt a bit like that when it comes to bloodstock. Uh, you, you, you hear, you know, you read tales of Sir Patrick Hogan, you talk to people like Sir Peter Vela about when they were cutting their teeth and, and how bloodstock, you know, was pretty much bloodstock internationally and you, you could travel the world and we were bringing back stallions here to New Zealand but... In the more professionalised era, especially into the 2020s, there are certain tiers and playing fields we're working with. And as someone in your job, you must see an awful lot of money and an awful lot of big-time players get involved at different scales. And is that an important part of the international field, trying to get these different bloodlines, trying to understand where these horses are coming from, who the players are, and trying to connect the dots that way?
0: What I do think is very important is that there's cross-pollination of bloodlines, so there's diversification of bloodlines, so that we don't uh, inbreed the inbreed the the stock too heavily. You know, and what I've been pleased to see, particularly in Europe this year, is the influence of uh, you know, newer stallions that are that are coming in to replace uh, Galileo, who's been the you know prepotent sire of his generation. So. The fact that Justify, an American Triple Crown winner from the Scat Daddy style line, is having such a significant influence over European bloodstock is redolent of the impact perhaps that Northern Dancer was to have in the 1960s when that Canadian bred who'd won a Kentucky Derby came over and was the breed shaper in in Europe. And that diversification of bloodlines has got to be important. Look what Sunday Silence has done for Japan and look what, in turn, deep impact a son of Sunday Silence is doing back to Europe, courtesy of horses like Saxon Warrior and August Rodan. So I think. You know, the shuttling of uh, of European stallions down to Australia has been a great thing, but I'm sure that you would agree in New Zealand and in, in Australia, that you now are needing fresh blood to to outcross uh, so much Danehill in your blood. So you're always you always need diversification of bloodlines, and the yeah the ease of movement of stallions has made that possible. And as I say, you know after a, a period where I thought there was just you know too much too much saddle as well from that Northern Dancer line in European bloodstock having having Justify come along, having Wooten Bassett come along is going to help us enormously.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The, the shuttle stallions we have access to here, um, Al Manzor Time Test, it really is quite amazing. And we even had a Justify Philly won a, a stake, win a stakes race um, in Ashburton of all places, which I'm probably guessing you've never been to in the South Island of New Zealand, Nick.
0: It's next on my bucket list. Louis, Ashburton on the South Island. That's where I want to come next. I'm in uh, Victoria next week for the Cup, so maybe I could just hop over on
1: route to Bath. Bon. <laughs> okay, <laughs> with that in mind, you, as I said, we're speaking to a, a truly uh, a global professional here, Nick Clark, everybody, and he's in California at the moment. Um, we don't see a hell of a lot of American racing down here, but one thing we do understand is some of the champions of the turf and the dirt have graced this particular weekend the Breeders' Champ. Breeders' Cup World Championships. In in your mind, and if you tried to explain it to us, why is this such an important staple of the international calendar?
0: I think, to be honest, it was the first major event to consider itself a genuinely international one, to, to go out there with the expressed desire to attract competition from all across the globe. It was created when American racing was a, a, a much more a popular entity in its own country. It was... Um, certainly closer to the zeitgeist than it than it is now and it was a massive made for tv event as well so it, it was the first event perhaps to have genuinely international aspiration it was also i think the first genuinely made for television horse racing event and we're now um on the nbc broadcast this year i've been working with them for the last 12 years since they got the contract back from espn uh, but nbc in the 1980s really created this event and made it something that was as close to the national consciousness as a horse racing event could be outside the Kentucky Derby and, and the Triple Crown. So I think that's, you know, those, those were the origins of it uh, back, back in the 80s. And I think with the, with the ease of travel now and increased European participation with what the Japanese add to the event as well, it is starting to, you know, really, really develop as a, a genuinely global event.
1: Do you think that, I guess, the, the uh, star European and, and British-based trainers uh, look at America as something that is as important to have on their resume as they did a decade or two ago? Um,
0: it's an interesting question, that. Um, I, think, I think a couple of decades ago, I think there was um, a certain level of importance placed on winning here for uh, enhancement of your stud value you know a horse like giants causeway for example when he was just narrowly beaten in the breeders cup memorable breeders cup classic of the millennium year by tiznow mm. by doing what he did on a, on a on a on a different surface and being by stormcat uh, that that gave him a huge international profile uh, and made him doubly attractive as a, as a stallion in addition to what he'd already built up winning five straight group group or grade 1s on on turf during that amazing summer of his three-year-old career so by doing what he did coming over here, it massively enhanced his reputation. Now, I think the reluctance of European trainers now to run horses on dirt has slightly negated that effect. So if you're saying, do I think winning Breeders' Cup races uh, um, for European horses have quite the same added luster as regards what their stallion value might be, then perhaps no. But I, I still think that the level of prestige is, is massive and you only have to look at the regard in which this event is held by, by Coolmore to understand uh, that it that it still has a, a a massive place in the hearts of the major stallion stations. and you could equally apply that to the Judmont. Prince Khalid Abdullah was a massive supporter of this event and and to Godolphin. So, um, you know you, you only have to look at the major breeding operations who patronize it every year to realize that it still has relevance
1: I guess if you extrapolate that out and there's kind of two parts to that there's the commercial breeding aspect and then there's the notoriety and and I guess what racing means to us as a international uh, racing public and if I think Australia and romantic warrior going down and winning the Cox plate I mean from your vantage point, how important was that for Hong Kong as a jurisdiction? And do you think that resonates up north?
0: I think it was quite important for Hong Kong. We all know Hong Kong is very successful commercially and it can it can operate very successfully and very effectively without any international participation and without its horses going anywhere. But you mustn't rest on your laurels. And I, I certainly think that uh, Winfred Engle-Breskes, who's arguably the most powerful uh, horse racing executive in the world understands that, and, and is always very keen to attract international participation, but you 're more likely to attract international participation to your jurisdiction if you look out with yourself mm-hmm. and take your horses elsewhere and It was almost inconceivable that horses like Golden Sixty and California Spangle and Romantic Warrior would go and do that until Danny Shum took the plunge with the Romantic warrior and did what he did and I, I was talking to James McDonald on my podcast this week i 'm sure you guys talk to him all the time, and it was really refreshing to hear him say how big a deal he felt this was and how privileged he was to be a part of that Uh, and it it very much was redolent of some of his comments after he's won races at royal ascot for british trainers i think he's someone who you know is a great ambassador for the the sport globally and is someone who understands why results like that mean something they resonate and they increase the profile of these uh, of these big races
1: it's, it's another topic completely, Nick, and I, I won't bog us down with it, but it's such a good point. You know, the jockeys are ultimately the ones that are on the back of these animals and can report that information and a and huge drivers in this stuff, which has trickle-on effects to the economics of it. You think of a Damien Lane and the impact he's had getting Japanese horses to Australia and Zach Purden um, up your way, obviously we could list off a handful of very influential jockeys throughout the years that have been able to make this stuff happen and probably act as conduits in a way, so it's a a great point you make around James McDonald and he's such a champion for New Zealand and for the Southern Hemisphere in general uh, he, he's going to ride Gold Trip who's got to be a very, very good chance even though up in the weights in the Melbourne Cup but I guess there's a bit of a narrative that everyone's running for second what do you make of that and what do you make of this rock hard fit Vauban?
0: Well he's become a horse that polarised opinion I, I, I feel that because he, he's such a heavy favourite and his credentials are so... Are so solid. Um, there's almost a, a narrative developed around the race. You either have to be for him or against him. You know? yeah. He's almost a classic exchange horse. He's a horse that people either want to play or they want to lay. Um, and I've, I've read quite a bit about him not having enough tactical speed or being too slow for the race. Well, I'm not sure I quite buy into that. You could make a, Kate a handicap in case that three to one as he is now is a, a perfectly good price, and that he should actually be shorter. I think what's factored into it. Is you know the chaos factor of the race, any interference that he might get into, and and whether he's travelled well and whether he can replicate his form on, in a different jurisdiction. But I think strictly, in, strictly on a from a from a weight and measures point of view, I, I believe that he ought to be carrying more weight than he is. I think he's a, I think he's ahead of what I think he's ahead of the Australian handicapper.
1: He's fascinating, and, and I, I know you would have seen the footage of legendary trainer uh, Mick Price seeing his work on, I think it was Tuesday morning, and kind of jaw on the floor with how, how much work Willie had him doing. He, he'll be the fittest, soundest horse, he said. So he's, he's a fascinating proposition. I don't think it's a bad thing for him to win it at all. I kind of hope he does, to be honest.
0: Um, yeah, I, I I don't think it's a bad thing. Uh, and I think what people have got to remember about Vauban is that yeah, before he before he became a jumper, before he he started running over hurdles for Willie Mullins, he was a horse who was completely unexposed as a stakes class horse on the flat as a three year old. Nobody would have been surprised if he'd stayed with his original trainer, given his pedigree, and gone on to to you know regularly turn up in in graded races, in graded stakes races as, as a four year old. Nobody would have been surprised. That appeared to be the trajectory that he was that he was on. And the one thing you know about Mullins is that this horse is going to be primed he's going to be trained hard and to the minute for this david casey who's in um where are we looking after the horse at the moment he's so experienced he's been going down to to melbourne for 20 years with horses and preparing them there and and he he, he is brave enough and bold enough to get the requisite amount of work into this horse they're, they're not going to be short of they're not going to be short of
1: conditioning Nick, you've been so generous with your time, so I'll I'll get you out on this one. We have to ask, because it's New Zealand audience we're talking to here predominantly, Imperatriz, she's become a bit of a star down here. She's another one that's dividing opinions in the sprinting ranks. She's hit 108 in her latest uh, ratings, back-to-back, actually, in Group 1s. Royal Ascot, if she gets the straight at Flemington in the Champions Sprint next week, Royal Ascot will become noise and we'll hear more and more of it. Do, do you think that there is room for a Kiwi sprinter up the straight, uh, um, the most famous carnival we have? And would you like some rowdy Kiwis on track come next summer?
0: Definitely. Definitely. We want as many rowdy Kiwis as we can possibly get our hands on. Uh, and why And why shouldn't she be a be a player? You know, uh, I, 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 I can't claim credit for spotting for this. So I'll give credit to my broadcast colleague, Graham Cunningham, for this one. Uh, of the last 21 Group 1 sprint races that have been run in England, okay, and so what are there? Five a year, six a year, something like that? Um, uh, over five or six furlongs. So of the last 21 sprint races at elite level run in, in uh, Great Britain, uh, they have been won by 20 different horses. Wow. Okay, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it tells you all you need to know about, uh, about that division, about how murky it is, about – I'm not saying it's Buggins' turn – But this is a this is a division where horses can appear out of nowhere. They can they can ride through the handicap ranks and suddenly become Grade One horses. You know, again, I stop short of calling it equine bingo. But if you think you've got one good (laughs) enough, then 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 is it worth having a go? Then you bet it's worth having a go. Um, And that one horse who managed to win two Group Ones in 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 Great Britain is Shaquille, a three year old of this year who's been. Retired to start after one after one bad run, so you know he's not around either. Um, it's it's a little bit unfair that stat on a filly like Hart- I feel Princess, who's won four races at the highest level: one in the UK, one in Ireland, and two in France. But you know the fact remains.
1: The door's ajar, is what we're getting. The door is ajar, and, um, and I am invincible. Oh, yeah. And I am invincible Me, trained by the genius Mark Walker would not be uh, out of the question. Oh, I love it, Nick. I've really enjoyed chatting, mate. It's, you've been so generous with your time. Enjoy the weekend. Uh, travel safe down under, and I think you'll find that this Melbourne Cup Carnival, there's so much good energy down here. I, I think you're going to really enjoy it. We really are uh, living our best lives in the Southern Hemisphere in the racing terms at the moment, so hope you have fun, and, and we'll catch up again No doubt.
0: All right, Louis. Thanks so much for having me.